today on Truths That Transform. And so we find ourselves in the 21st century trying to live out our virtues and our values and our worldview as it's informed by the Word of God in a society that is predominantly hostile. Cultural engagement by Christians should be viewed part and parcel to the ultimate commission that Jesus gave us uh, in the Great Commission. Welcome to Truths That Transform, a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries. We want to invite you to stay connected to us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube by looking for D. James Kennedy Ministries. And also visit us on the web at djkm.org for a robust library of programs, interviews, features, and resources. We live in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile towards Christianity and the revealed truth of God. As Francis Schaeffer famously asked, echoing Ezekiel 33, how shall we then live? On today's program, we'll see what it means to live as Christians in an alien world. Many have suggested that it means retreating into catacombs, but in reality, it means prayerfully pushing forward against the tide. We begin with a look at the frequent question raised by secularists and Christians do Christians and politics mix? Here's Dr. Jerry Newcomb with more. Some people think that Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. Uh, to them, I say, why is that? I think that Christians should be involved in every sphere of culture. Uh, if we don't show up, we don't have the opportunity to be influential. And just like in culture and entertainment, in education or any other sphere with politics, uh, Christians have a seat at the table and should be proclaiming the gospel news in every sphere of culture. There are many in the church today that say that politics and religion don't mix. Dr. D. James Kennedy himself took umbrage with that notion. I remember 20 years ago, a lady asked me, do you think Christians should get involved in politics? And I responded, of course not. We should leave it all to the unbelievers. Otherwise, we wouldn't have anything to complain about. And we would really rather complain than do something, wouldn't we? And unfortunately, there's more truth to that than we would like to admit. And so we should be involved in every sphere of our life and culture and not leave it to anyone else. But we should do that in order that God may get the glory from his own creation instead of what we often see. You can't sit back and say, well, politics is a dirty thing and I'm going to stay out of it. I'm a Christian and it's just beneath me to get involved. Well, that allows the atheists, the secularists, people who don't share our values to dominate the political system and pass uh, laws that actually discriminate against Christians. We lost the debate over marriage. Even though 27 states voted the right way, 
One Supreme Court decision by a one-vote majority struck down all those state marriage laws. So I think what people of faith need to realize is that if they don't occupy a spot for them in the public square, that spot will be occupied with, by somebody with much different values who will take America in a direction that I think mo most believers would find very uncomfortable in the years ahead. The fallout of Christian inaction in the political realm continues. This sentiment of Christians avoiding politics is quite ironic, especially in America, since so many of the early settlers and founders of the nation were committed Christians, such as the pilgrims. The word politics comes from polis, which means city. It's just the business of the city. And so everybody was involved, and they got this idea from the, the, the Reformation, but it came into a written form in the Mayflower Compact. We covenant ourselves together to form a civil body politic and uh, to pass laws that we shall think most meet, uh, and we render due submission to these laws. The Bible actually is the source for a constitutional republic, that it is so applicable to our particular system of government. For the first you know, 200 years of our nation, the Bible was the salt and light that was infused into our culture that made America the greatest nation in the history of the world. John Adams, our second president, said our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to any other. And that's because you need people with self-discipline uh, who are raised to be responsible. Someone else once said that the, the fewer laws you have within yourself, the more laws you need from outside. That goes way back, um, perhaps to the Romans. Uh, in other words, if you don't have self-restraint, somebody's going to have to restrain you. Politics really reflects morality. Some people don't agree with that, um, but we know that politics is downstream from culture, and culture is shaped by your worldview. Whether that's a Christian worldview or a different worldview, we all come to uh, culture and then politics through what we internally believe at our core. For us at the Center for Christian Statesmanship, that's a biblical worldview uh, with a lens through the gospel. The direction of our culture, the direction of our uh, economics, of our politics, of the world affairs, it's in chaos. And, and the war against Christians is at an all-time high. There is such a, an enormous awakening that things are wrong and things have to change. And we see it on a local level with school boards, parents who are against uh, critical race theory, uh, different types of indoctrination in the class, the sexualization of the curriculum at even kindergarten level. One of the keys to turning our culture and politics around is taking a look at important issues to Christians. And right here, I want to emphasize the important role that church and pastors have in resisting this cultural war. You see, I talk to a lot of pastors who are sitting on the sidelines and they do not want to involve with politics or culturally because, well, I don't want to offend people in my church. Uh, the question that we have to ask ourselves and, and every pastor has to ask himself or herself is, am I building a church or am I building God's kingdom? Depending upon the answer, your actions are going to be different. If you're building the kingdom, you are certainly going to be far more enthusiastic about preaching the hard sermons that speak to today's social issues.
Christians have an option to shy away from politics or they can engage. Uh, I believe that it's critically important for us to be involved in all spheres of culture, including politics. Um, we know that government in many ways controls our lives um, from small things at a local level to national and international politics. But I believe that without a Christian voice in that arena, we create a vacuum for others who have very different worldviews than ourselves to uh, proclaim what they believe. I think that it's imperative that Christians be involved in that process. Ironically, secular culture tells Christians to stay out of politics, while at the same time politicizing basic moral issues. Was same-sex marriage a political issue 30 years ago, or was it a biblical issue? Was abortion a biblical issue, or a social issue, or a political issue? Well, today, everything's just, everything is a political issue, so churches have to get up and speak the truth. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his apostles, his sent ones, that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. And he said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey what I've commanded you. We call this the Great Commission. I believe very strongly that cultural engagement by Christians should be viewed part and parcel to the ultimate commission that Jesus gave us uh, in the Great Commission. When we see it in those terms, we won't be limited to the temperamental swings of election seasons and um, a victory here electorally, a defeat here electorally, but we'll see it's a part of our duty to be salt and light. As Christians concerned about the direction of this country, what can we do? We have to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Right? Paul makes that clear in 2 Corinthians 10. And what that means is we need to think biblically about all of these issues. And he says, we destroy argu arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We must not only be aware of these ideologies, but we must be at war with these ideologies. Not that we're at war with people, but we're at war with ideologies that are at war with God. It's absolutely God's will to see Christians in the public sphere and especially in high office. If you look at, throughout the Bible, you'll see that certainly God used people who uh, were not believers, who didn't believe in Him, to uh, follow through with His will and His purpose. But He also empowered uh, Christian men and women to uh, take a stand for what was right. We see that in the Bible, but that's also relevant today. God has placed us here for this moment, for this time, we should take full ownership of that reality and knowing God is gonna hold us accountable for what we do with the time he gave us by his divine foreknowledge made us American citizens in the 21st century. You think he's surprised that we have a constitutional republic with democratic features? Absolutely not. He wants us to do in our day what the Apostle Paul did in his day. Use everything at our disposal to advance the gospel, even our citizenship. Let's take advantage of the freedoms that we have while we have them to advance the kingdom's objective to be salt and light, and we do so until Jesus Christ comes back or until he calls us home. Are you confused by the advancement of radical claims about gender in our schools, courts, and government? We have an important booklet to send you called What Does the Bible Teach About Gender Identity? This short, easy-to-read booklet will help you understand what this issue is all about 
We'll send it to you at no cost or obligation to you. Contact us today and ask for What Does the Bible Teach About Gender Identity? We don't need fewer Christian statesmen. We need more of them. We don't need more Christians retreating behind the safety of the four walls of the church. We need Christians with the courage to stand for their biblical convictions as representatives of King Jesus Christ. An outstanding example is the biblical figure Daniel. The pagan king Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem and drafted Daniel into his service. But Daniel would not compromise God's word in order to maintain favor with the king. A few weeks ago, I shared a message with my congregation here at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church from Daniel, chapter 1, about what we can learn from him as citizens of the city of God. Daniel 1 gives us a blueprint and a template, a handbook, for what it looks like for Christians who find themselves in a culture whose values have shifted. A church in captivity. Now what I mean by a church in captivity is that we exist in what some would call a post-Christian era. What does that mean? That means we live in a society that no longer sees the Judeo-Christian worldview as the predominant worldview. Worldviews that are guided more by a secular ideology are governing and informing our culture and our society. And so we find ourselves in the 21st century trying to live out our virtues and our values and our worldview as it's informed by the Word of God in a society that is predominantly hostile to our worldview and particularly hostile to our understanding of the sanctity of human life. And so what do we do? What do we do in such a culture? Thanks be to God, in Daniel chapter 1, we are given a template, a blueprint, of what it looks like to live faithfully in a culture that opposes us. I briefly just want to divide Daniel chapter 1 into two sections. One, the spirit of Babylon, and two, the response and the mission of God's people. First, the spirit of Babylon. Now, I don't think that there is a real physical Babylon. That territory is modern-day Iraq. But make no mistake, the spirit of Babylon is alive and well. Babylon in the Bible is more than just a physical territory. It has symbolically always stood from the Old Testament to the New Testament, all the way through Revelation, symbolic as the kingdom of unrighteousness, opposed to the kingdom of righteousness. Babylon has figuratively stood as the city of man in opposition to the city of God. So as I said, make no mistake that the spirit of Babylon in our nation is alive and well. What are the characteristics of the spirit of Babylon that we can see continuing in our day here in Daniel chapter 1? Well, the first marker, the characteristic of the spirit of Babylon is to deconstruct vocabulary. Deconstruct vocabulary. 
to give words new meaning. We see that in verse 3 and 4 of Daniel chapter 1. It says that the Babylonians took youth from the kingdom of of Israel and from the nobility and brought them in. It says to re-educate them. With what? The literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The literature and the language of the Chaldeans was the literature and the language of the Babylonians. You see, the purpose of re-education and deconstructing their vocabulary in Daniel chapter 1 was not to teach them about Babylon, but it was to teach them how to be like a Babylonian. To reject the virtues and the values of Yahweh and to embrace the virtues and the values of Babylon. It says in Daniel chapter 1 that they did it in three years. In America, we do it in four. We raise up our children with a biblical worldview, with the language of Yahweh, and then we send them off to college. And unfortunately, so many of our colleges in this country spend four years systematically deconstructing their vocabulary, deconstructing the literature and the language that your children were raised with, and they replace it with the literature and the language of the Babylonians. But not only do we see the deconstruction of vocabulary through indoctrination in Daniel chapter 1, but we also see the spirit of Babylon in redefining identity. In verse 6, we are introduced to these four young men Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who we're told are from the tribe of Judah. And all four of these young men have names that identify them as children of Yahweh. So that they would understand that their identity is not found in what they do, but their identity is found in who they are in as image bearers of the Most High God. That they would understand that their identity is grounded and rooted in the creator God. But we're told in verse 7 that they're given new names. That the government comes in and says, no longer will you be identified by your names that come from Yahweh. But instead we will give you names like Belshazzar and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Which were all names that referred to the Babylonian gods. Can you imagine what happens to a culture when God no longer defines identity, but the government does? What kind of culture exists when the government defines identity and no longer God defining identity? Complete and moral chaos. But this is what happens in this culture redefining their identity so that they would be defined as children of the Babylonian gods and no longer children of Yahweh. And this is an assault on God and on his word because we are told in his word that only God has the right to define our identity. We're told in the opening pages of scripture in Genesis chapter 1, Verse 27, so God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is called the Imago Dei, the doctrine of the image of God, which has served as the foundational doctrine for understanding where our identity comes from. 
that the world does not define us, that we're not defined by what we do or by what we don't do, but God alone has the right to define us. It means that we can ground and root our stance as a church and as a people in the absolute, in the objective truth that all lives are valuable because they have the stamp of the image of God upon them. But this is the spirit, the spirit of Babylon that has existed for centuries, reconstructing vocabulary, redefining identity. So what's the answer? Well, the mission of God's people What is the mission of God's people in a culture of opposition? What is the mission of God's people concerning the sanctity of human life? Look at verse 8. But Daniel, but Daniel in the face of opposition, but Daniel in a culture and a society that did not value life, that redefined identity, that reconstructed identity, but Daniel resolved that he would not be defiled with the king's food, that he would not be defiled with what the king drank. Daniel was a man that was set apart. Why? Because he was grounded and informed by the word of God and had such a firm foundation that in the face of opposition, he was unshakable. This is what it means to be faithful in the midst of opposition. And my question for you this morning, what are we doing as a church in the 21st century to raise up modern-day Daniels? And in the face of cultural opposition, they might stand. Hi, I'm Jennifer Kennedy Cassidy. I'm so grateful that my father's torch has been taken up by Rob Pacienza at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. My dad was absolutely convinced that the gospel brings both salvation and transformation. And when Christians take that transformed life out into the world, blessings flow. For too long, Christians have labored under the falsehood that we should stay out of pursuits like politics because they're worldly. It's time to clear away those myths, which we do in our book, 10 Truths About Christians and Politics. We'll send you this concise, highly readable book as our thanks when you give us a generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. You'll be encouraged and inspired as you read through these truths that are often obscured or even lost today. Many have been taught that Christianity has no place in public life or even that the Constitution forbids it. Nothing could be further from the truth. Religion is actually the foundation of government and politics. That's just one of the truths you'll learn about in this book. You've heard many people say, you can't legislate morality. But the fact is, governments legislate morality all the time. It's always someone's morality that's being implemented through law. That's another truth in 10 Truths About Christians and Politics. When you donate, you are helping this ministry have a worldwide impact. We're sounding the clarion call on issues like the connection between Christianity and America. And we're broadcasting the gospel in places like Russia and war-torn Ukraine. We've also relaunched the D. James Kennedy Center for Christian Statesmanship in Washington, D.C. to bring a Christian voice and witness to Capitol Hill, where decisions are made minute by minute that affect your life. Your donations help us to do all that and more. 
If you're able to give a generous gift of $50 or more, we'll send you the 10 Truths book, plus a brand new exclusive DVD program, The Salt and Light Solution, Our Nation's Need for Christians in Politics. This program features highlights from our recent Christian Statesmanship Awards Dinner in Washington. Virginia Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears received the 2022 Distinguished Christian Statesman Award, and you'll be encouraged and edified by her stirring acceptance speech. And the program also features remarks from our 2021 honoree, former Representative Vicki Hartzler, as well as key messages from my dad and Pastor Rob Pacienza on Christians and politics. That's the indispensable book, 10 Truths About Christians and Politics, as our thanks for your generous donation. And as thanks for your gift of $50 or more, we'll send you the book plus the exclusive DVD program, The Salt and Light Solution, Our Nation's Need for Christians in Politics Now. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 877-962-7677. Or go online to djkm.org. We live in a time when the grounds have shifted. This is undeniably a nation settled by Christians and founded upon Judeo-Christian principles. But it's also undeniable that the culture has turned hostile towards many of those principles. There was once a time where it was normal to profess Christianity and adherence to Christian morality. For much of American history, you would not have raised a single eyebrow by affirming that marriage is a union between one man and one woman, and that man and woman are biological designations assigned by God in creation. The humanity of a baby still in the womb, the need for public prayer, and the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ all were ordinary and commonplace in American life well into the 20th century. But like Daniel, we now live in a culture that demands for us to compromise our principles. Increasingly, those who stand for traditional marriage and against things like transgenderism are made to pay a price. Sometimes it's ridicule or jaw pressure, like the NHL player who recently declined to wear an LGBTQ rainbow on his jersey and was vilified in the media. Other times it's job loss and financial penalty, like with coach Joe Kennedy, who was fired for praying silently after high school football games. And other times still, it's prosecution by the government, such as in the case of Baker Jack Phillips, who is continually harassed by the government of the state of Colorado because he won't bake cakes to celebrate causes that go against his Christian convictions. Over 40 years ago, the great Christian apologist Francis Schaeffer saw this day coming. He was concerned that American Christians, who had become quite comfortable in what once were hospitable surroundings, would not be willing to put their personal peace and affluence aside when the time came to stand up for principle. So what will you do when the time comes? Will you compromise with the world in order to maintain your comfort? Or will you say with the apostles, when they were commanded to stop proclaiming God's truth, we must obey God rather than men? The time to begin preparing for that day is now. Jesus himself said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you believe that? If so, your actions will show it. If you're ever in Fort Lauderdale, we'd love to have you come worship with us at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. You can also live stream us every Sunday at crpc.tv, where you'll also find previous live streams and other helpful resources. We're so glad you joined us, and here's a look at the next Truths That Transform. William Wilberforce is a wonderful example of a Christian motivated by their faith to make a difference in the world. That's next week. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.